This episode of I'm Horrified is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com horrified to get your free audiobook and start listening. It's that easy. Right now, I'm listening to Going Clear by Lawrence Wright, which pairs perfectly with our Scientology segment in episode 6. And I'm listening to The Rogue Not Taken by Sarah McLean, a sizzling romance novel for those who enjoyed episode 49. So head to audibletrial.com horrified to start your free trial now. Happy listening! I'm sorry. Hi, everyone. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 52 of I'm Horrified. Woo! Episode 52, woo! Just as many uh, weeks as there are in a year are now episodes of I'm Horrified. Yeah, you know what's funny? Um, We're supposed to be a weekly podcast, and there are 52 weeks in a year, and we had our... Year anniversary, year a anniversary, weeks ago. couple weeks ago. Well, because we don't number our special episodes. Yeah, we're doing great. Yeah, it's like we we're s- fine. We skipped one week once because I was a full disaster that week, and then we have enough like special episodes that it got very confusing. We do our best. We that's all I ask of myself yeah. or you guys. I said that kind of in an angry way, like somebody was like, <laughs> "You're not doing your best," and I was like, "We do our best," oh but God. nobody's said anything differently. No, but at that, you know what, just saying to myself, like, hey, I just have to do my best today, and that's not, I'm not saying I have to do the best. I'm not saying I have to do your best. No, I have to do, I if I can end the day knowing that I did my, my best, best today, and my best was answering four emails and not crying in the office. I agree. Then I did it. I did it. I can't regret it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's start that with that lesson, folks. Yeah, and then take it downhill from there. And maybe then learn about a couple people who were doing their best, or not. We'll find out. Or their worst. Sam, who are you going to talk about today? Um, Today I'm going to talk about Star of the Silver Screen, Dorothy Dandridge. I don't know who that is at all. I'm so excited to, to teach you about her, because I didn't know that much about her either. And then I listened to, there was an episode of a great podcast called You Must Remember This, which is about, like, old, old Hollywood. Oh, I love that podcast. So I was like... She's in the zeitgeist. I gotta talk about her. Let's talk about it. And what are you gonna talk about today, Allie? I'm also gonna talk about an icon, and that is uh, the Slap Chop guy. <laughs> the Slap Chop guy. Also known as the Sham Wow guy. Oh, he's both. Also known as, um, well, that's really the main thing. Mostly he's known those as. two. Um, but I'm gonna tell you everything there is to know about him, pretty much. Yeah. Everything the internet has about this man. I'm going to tell you. Do you ever remember that Billy Mays is dead and gets sad? We're going to talk about Billy Mays, too. <gasps> oh, my God. We're going to talk about him. Foreshadowing, you guys. Um, but not yet. Okay. Bait your breath, everyone. <laughs> it's She's baited. Because um, we're, we're taking it back first. Wowie. Sam, take it away. Okay. So the Oscars were, like, last week or two weeks ago. Time is a flat circle. Mm-hmm. I don't know where anything happened. Um, but a lot of people were pointing out that the Oscars continue to be so white. Hashtag so white. Um, they were really unhappy that Green Book won Best Picture. Uh, I haven't seen Green Book, but from what I've heard, I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Bo Bohemian Rhapsody won for editing, which a lot of my film friends on Twitter were very mad about. Um, Yeah. I, I, a lot of times, um, when people are mad about things that have to do with film, I'm like, oh, yeah, but I don't understand film people, really. No. Um, upsetting to me was that no women were nominated for Best Director. Yeah, that was bullshit. Uh, ever. Uh, and of course, we know that Hollywood did not just recently start being white man-centric. Uh, it has been like this forever, Mm -hmm. since the beginning, pretty much. 
So I thought today I'd talk about one of the biggest stars of old Hollywood who was treated really badly and who was very nearly forgotten by all of us, the world. So we're going to talk about uh, the life of Dorothy Dandridge, one of the most promising talents of the silver screen and the first African-American actor to ever be nominated for a leading role Oscar. Wow, that's cool. So man or woman, she was the first to ever be nominated for best actress or actor. It's amazing. Yeah. So she was born and just saying, isn't it wild that I didn't know who she was and you didn't know who she was? No, I didn't know who she was. Yeah. And, and that's and a I didn't big either. fucking deal. What the fuck? Like, why don't we know this? Yeah. And we're both like film and acting nerds too. So we should know. We should know. She and was... you should know, and you're about to. Sam, get to it. <laughs> Dorothy Dandridge was born November 9th, 1922, uh, and she was born in Cleveland, Ohio, to aspiring entertainer Ruby Dandridge. And oh, what a great name. Isn't that a good one? Dorothy Dandridge is, too. Yeah, they're two good names. And Cyril Dandridge, who was a cabinet maker and Baptist minister. Same. <laughs> I will say, like, this combination of, like, Ruby, an inspiring entertainer, and Cyril, a cabinet maker and Baptist <laughs> minister. Like, you know those two are not going to go together. Uh, Ruby really wanted to be a star, and she thought her husband was a total mama's boy who was never going to move them out of being with his mom. And she was right. So she left him uh, when she was five months pregnant with Dorothy. And oh, that's it, a bold move. Yeah. And she already had, she had one baby and then she was five months pregnant. And in later life, Dorothy confessed to really regretting that she literally never met her father. Aww. Like, did not have a relationship He's probably with a perfectly him. nice guy just making his cabinets. Yeah. Like, I just want to have a family. And, and Ruby's like, nope, I'm headed for the stage. Yeah. That's sad. It's a bummer. So Ruby quickly created an act for her two daughters, Vivian and Dorothy, called The Wonder Children. And they were working on a lot of vaudeville circuits. Mm-hmm. into in the 20s which makes me think of um gypsy the musical yes it does <laughs> it's, it's i think it's like that's that. pretty much the plot of gypsy yeah i think that's that was dorothy dandridge's early i life. did it for you ruby <laughs> um, deep cut for the musical fans out there love that not that deep of a cut i guess not, that, not incredibly deep all right we'll move on a shallow a shallow wound shallow you say <laughs> oscars you say I loved it. I don't even want to. I don't even want to act like I didn't love Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga staring into each other's eyes at the Oscars. I enjoyed it. Uh, so they were pretty successful in the vaudeville circuit, but obviously during the Depression, work dried up for a time. Uh, so at that point, Ruby moved her daughters to Hollywood because she thought like the movies are where it's at. And Dorothy actually had a normal life for a few years. She was going to middle school. She wasn't on uh, like traveling and performing on a circuit. Like, a normal kid, which is cool. That's nice for a time. Uh, And that all changed after the Depression, when the economy was stabilizing again, and Ruby resurrected the Wonder Children as the Dandridge Sisters, because Vivian and Dorothy were a little bit older now. They were, like, early teens. And she got them performing again, uh, this time with a third friend of theirs, Etta Jones. So by all And Etta. Sorry. (laughs) I just keep, I keep the musical things. (laughs) Theater majors will love it. Theater majors are going to love this episode. <laughs> uh, so by all accounts, the Dandridge sisters were actually really, really good. Um, they received their first big break in 1935, appearing in a Paramount musical called The Big Broadcast of 1936. And then they appeared in the film Going Places, where they performed the song Jeepers Creepers with saxophonist Louis Armstrong. So their career is kind of picking up steam. And they were also booking a lot of nightclub gigs in New York, specifically the famous Cotton Club, so they relocated to New York for full time. 
And at this point, Dorothy was 16 and she was gorgeous. Just to give you an idea, here's a picture of her, Allie. <gasps> oh my God, she's beautiful. She's, and then like, she's going to go on to be a movie star. Oh so my, obviously oh she was going to be gorgeous. But like, sometimes old timey hot people, it's like, wow, you were hot back then, You'd but you'd probably be like a normie in real life. Yeah. She'd be smoking hot now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely true. So Dorothy is 16. She's so beautiful. She's getting successful in her career and she relocates back to Hollywood and starts getting small film roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but she refused to accept stereotypical African-American roles. She she didn't want to ever play like the exotic seductress. She didn't want to play the maid in the house. And like Hollywood has never been a particularly welcoming place for people of color, but it was a hundred percent worse in the forties when Dorothy's career was. Yeah, it's out. like a hundred times braver and more amazing that she was able to do that then. Like yeah. it's hard to do that now. Yeah. Um, and then an- just like another com- complication on that, so she was like, "I won't play your exotic seductress. I won't play the servant in your house. I want to be. I'm. I'm gorgeous and talented. I want to be yeah. the romantic lead of your movie." But at that point, you were not allowed to show mixed-race couples on screen. Um, that's a big part of, I don't know if you know the history about Showboat, which was like the first mo- one of the first movie musicals. But one of the characters in Showboat is supposed to be mixed-race, and they had to cast that person as a white actress because the hero is white. And you weren't allowed to show a mixed-race couple at all. Yikes. So, so like, that was really problematic for Dorothy, because if the male lead in a movie was white, there was no way Dorothy could be cast as his romantic interest. And if they're going to fuck over anyone, they'd be fucking her over. Yeah. So that's obviously very limiting. So around this time, Dorothy is 19 years old, and she marries Harold Nicholas, uh, who is a man she's been dating since he was 16, who was also a performer. They could do movies together. There you go. Do they? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, part of her motivation in marrying him so young, she's 19, uh, is because her mom is, like, super controlling. So she's like, if I get married... Oh, you don't say. <laughs> her stage mother's controlling? Um, so she's like, if I get married, Harold and I can just, like, do what we want to do, and I can just focus on my career. It'll be lit. However, Harold is the opposite problem, where he just doesn't give a fuck about her Aww. at all. Uh, So he begins taking really long trips away from home, and then even when he was home, his free time was spent on the golf course or philandering. Ooh. Which, she's so beautiful. I know that's not what it's about. No, it's never what it's about. But come on. But, oh God. Poor Dorothy blamed herself for Harold's infidelities because she thought that she didn't have enough sexual experience. Dorothy, no. To keep him happy. Because she had been dating him since she was 16. Um, but then she found out she was pregnant and she was like, this is what's really going to make Harold settle down. That's never the case. We'll be a family. You guys. He'll get, he'll stay at home with this me This is the not the fix. <laughs> it's really going to work out. Uh, it doesn't work out. Anytime you're having a bad time in your life, <laughs> you shouldn't be like, you know what would be good right now? A baby. God. Don't do that. Huh. So at 20, Dorothy gives birth to her only child, a daughter named Harolyn Suzanne Nicholas, who they usually call Lynn. Aww. And um, Dorothy is getting small parts in films, but she's really focused on being like a super doting mother to Lynn. But as Lynn grows, Dorothy sees that something is wrong with Lynn. She cries constantly, but she is unable to speak. And she doesn't really interact with people. 
So Dorothy starts taking Lynn to doctors. And finally, Lynn is diagnosed with a brain injury, likely due to lack of oxygen during birth. And Dorothy is told that Lynn will need constant care for the rest of her life. So, again, Dorothy blamed herself because when she had gone into labor, she had tried to delay delivery until her husband could arrive. (gasps) So she's like, it's my fault that my daughter is going to need care for the rest of her life. Uh, And during this troublesome period, Harold is often physically and emotionally unavailable to Dorothy Dandridge. Just, like, totally checked out. She's like, hey, our daughter is having a lot of problems and, like, I'm miserable and putting my career on hold. Yeah, and he's like, support me. And he's like, peace out. Harold. So, Dorothy's very overwhelmed. She's still trying to get her career off the ground. Her marriage is crumbling. So, she se- seeks psychiatric help, which usually it, you'd be like, move. good, okay. But um, what they do is just prescribe her heavy narcotics. Um, yeah. And I feel like if you were a gorgeous woman in the 40s or 50s, you could just snap your fingers and people would give you heavy narcotics that would end up fucking up your life later. Yeah. That's, I think, most screen sirens. Yeah. It's just like, you know what? I need, like, a lot of barbitol, but also a lot of red lipstick, but yeah. also fame until my dying days and yeah. no wrinkles. And it does. It makes me sad because, like, in real life, seeking help when you're feeling overwhelmed is the perfect thing to do. Mm-hmm. But in this case, (laughs) it wasn't. So by 1949, she's fed up with Harold and Dorothy obtains a divorce. Uh, Of course, Harold avoids paying child support, but she's like, honestly, fine. (laughs) I don't even care. Get out of here, Harold. won't be married. And now that she's a single parent, she has to reach back out to her mother, Ruby. And Ruby takes care of Lynn while Dandridge is trying to get her career started. Okay, that's good. It is, but it kind of sucks because she was trying to get Ruby out of her life. Yeah. So she's like, I'd rather Ruby was watching my kid than someone else, but, like, sucks. I don't really want to talk to you every day. Yeah. So at this point, Dorothy has been in Hollywood for nearly ten years, and still her career is stalled. She begins instead working at the club scene, where her persona is, like, a really sexy and confident performer. And uh, that's getting her a lot of notice, but many of the places Dorothy's performing are still massively racist, even though she is literally the headliner. So because she was black, she was not allowed to use the same bathroom, hotel lobby, elevator, or swimming pool as the white patrons or her fellow actors in these club shows. Yeah. And she was forbidden from speaking to the audience, even though she was literally the headliner. Um, And at some of these clubs, when she was the headliner, still her dressing room was a janitor's closet. Because they were like, just because she's bringing in the most money doesn't mean that we're going to respect her. What the fuck? Yeah, it's it's really fucked up. And she did this for years. But it does get her name out there. And she finally starts being offered better roles in Hollywood. So her first big break um, is a movie called Tarzan's Peril. Wow. um, Where she plays a jungle queen. Um, it was not Dorothy's favorite role to take, but it was a step she felt like she needed to, and it gets her- is a movie. It's a movie. That's a lot. And she has, you know, a plot. I I read, like, the rough plot of Tarzan's Peril, and it's like- Could be worse, I guess. Yeah, it was like, she's the queen of a jungle tribe, and then, like, the king of another jungle tribe wants to marry her, and she's like, I'm not interested- and then he's, like, going to have war with her tribe. And then Tarzan is, like, helps. And at the end, she's like, thanks, Tarzan. Now I don't have to marry that guy. So, I mean... But then, then do, like, she and Tarzan get married? No, Tarzan's with Jane. Oh, 
Good. So I think she just gets to stay single, in theory. I didn't watch the movie. That's good. So not awful, even though she's still, like, she has this crazy name, but it was just, like, it's, like, this name, The Jungle Queen. And I was like, all right. All right. She, it ends up paying off, though, because then she gets a movie called Bright Road, which she loves. And in Bright Road, she plays an optimistic elementary school teacher who helps a problem child pass her class. And the movie had a nearly all-black cast, and while not, like, the most successful, Dorothy was really, really proud of her work in the film. And she chose it specifically because she was attracted to the lack of racial conflict in Bright Road's story. Like, just because it's an all-black cast doesn't mean that that was what the movie was about. Mm -hmm. And Dorothy was really excited about that. She wrote that she, quote, um, she was, quote, profoundly fond of the theme, which showed that beneath any color skin, people were simply people. I had a feeling that themes like this might do more real good than the more hard-hitting protest pictures. I wanted any white girl in the audience to look at me performing in this film and be able to say to herself, why this school teacher could be me. Yeah, that's really powerful. Because, I mean, I think you need both. Like, this is not a new concept, but I remember reading some article a couple years ago that was talking about, like, I think... Asian American Mm -hmm. portrayals in in movies and TV and they were like well you need some stories like fresh off the boat which are talking specifically about like race and what it's like to be a first generation immigrant etc etc and then you need some instances where it's like in Crazy Mm Ex-Girlfriend the hottest guy and the biggest romantic lead is just Filipino and it's not about him being Filipino he just is yeah you need both of those to get to the place where equality starts to happen. Yeah, exactly. So I cannot believe that she was fucking breaking these barriers down in the in 40s. The, in the fucking 40s. That's yeah. amazing. Isn't that amazing? And she was so smart about it and so thoughtful about mm-hmm. what she was doing. That's incredible. So next we get to the biggest movie in Dorothy's career, Carmen Jones. Ooh. Which is a modern adaptation of the opera Carmen, which is based on an Oscar Hammerstein musical. So, um, 20th Century Fox stages this nationwide talent search to fill out this all African-American cast, and Dorothy is like, I want to be Carmen Jones. I must be Carmen Jones. It's my part. I'm an amazing singer. I'm an awesome actor. It is me. I'm gonna- I have arrived. Yeah. This is- this is the role for me. So, the director of the film, Otto Preminger, um, Dorothy comes in and auditions for him, and he's initially, like, not impressed- Um, And he thinks she's, like, too much of a good girl to play Carmen Jones. And he tries to give her the smaller role of Cindy Lou. And Dorothy is like, fuck that. So she goes and she finds an old wig and a low-cut blouse. And she wears that blouse off the shoulder with a seductive skirt. And tossles her hair and applies makeup. And comes back into Otto Preminger's office like, you think I'm fucking Cindy Lou? Like, look at me now. And And he reportedly yells out, it's Carmen drama (laughs) i love that i love i love that she was just like oh you think i don't look like carmen here you go here i am here i am so she gets the role and the movie is a huge hit and her performance is so lauded that she is nominated for an academy award for leading actress and again she's the first african-american person ever to be nominated for a leading actor award grace kelly wins that year but it's looking like dorothy is going to be the next shining star of hollywood cinema wouldn't it be so great if I could end the segment right here? Oh my god, I want you to. I just want to be like, and then, you know, she had a quiet acting career, yeah. and she was really, really happy, and she had a husband who supported her and her daughter, <laughs> no. and her mom maintained healthy boundaries. No. <laughs> don't tell me what happened. No, I, don't tell me what happens to her. During the filming of Carmen Jones, 
Dorothy begins an intense love affair with her separated but still married director, Otto Preminger. No. So at first he was like, you're not Carmen, and now he's like, you're Carmen, and fuck me. And also my gal pal. So. That's what they called it back then, I think. So in America at this time, obviously this romance is very taboo. And Preminger is careful that in public, he only shows a business interest in Dandridge, which must suck if you're like, wow, I'm really into you. Yeah. And the other guy's like, we can't be seen in public together. Yeah, that's not nice. Fuck. Then, in 1956, this huge movie offer comes in. She's offered the supporting actress role in The King and I to play um, Top Tim, if you're familiar with The King and I. We've talked about so many musicals already. I know. It's one of those days. I count like eight. You know what I mean? Um, however, she talks to Otto Preminger about it, and he's like, you should not accept the role of Tupdim because it's not the star. It's, like, the second female lead. So she turns it down, but she regrets the decision for the rest of her career, because The King and I is an enormous success. Um, and the same thing happens with another movie called The Lieutenant Wore Skirts. Again, Otto Preminger was like, you shouldn't take that role. Uh, interestingly, both those roles ended up going to Rita Moreno. So Rita's Who's just now a household name. Yeah, like everybody knows who she is. Yeah. Oh, I'm sad. That could have been her. Exactly. I mean, I don't have anything against Rita Moreno, mm-hmm. but yeah. But no, Dorothy could have taken those roles. Happens. So the other problem with that Dor- with Dorothy rejecting these roles is that the head of 20th Century Fox, Daryl Zanuck, is like, "You're a problem child. Like, you're not taking any of these roles that I'm offering you. I don't know that I want to." be giving you roles anymore if you're just gonna say no you know it's funny i'm about to talk about 20th century fox in my segment in a really different capacity (laughs) okay (laughs) so just hold on to that yeah so soon dorothy's relationship with otto begins to sour when she's 35 she becomes pregnant with their child and he's like i'm not gonna get divorced um she's like you have to and he says no so they break up and she gets an abortion to avoid the scandal oh After the breakup, Dorothy continues to largely date white men, which, again, was a big deal back then. And anger over Dorothy dating, quote, out of her race is, like, a huge thing in the media. Like, all the magazines are like, Dorothy loves white guys. Like, it's just a front page every time she goes on a date. Yikes. In 1957, a tabloid called Confidential ran a story about a tryst between Dorothy and a bartender in Lake Tahoe. And the story was basically saying that, like, she was performing at this club, and then she and the bartender went, like, upstairs to, like, a a box and fucked up there, and people could see them. I don't think that that happened. But even if it did, mind your business. I know, right? But, so, like, before, Confidential Magazine just kind of said whatever they wanted, because they were like, you have to prove it's not true, and that's really hard to do. So, fuck you guys. Fuck everyone. Dorothy is so incensed by this that she is like, no... I can prove that this isn't true because, and this is awful, the hotel enforced a curfew for people of color. Oh. So she could not have been out of her room. It's like, you know what? I wanted to be fucking, (laughs) but I couldn't because you're fucking racist. Yeah. And that's the truth. So, like, amazingly, she wins against Confidential. I think they end up settling out of court. Um, but, like, she would have won, um, which she's the first person to ever have the balls to do that. But it just was, like, so much scandal. Like, reporters were, like, reenacting the tryst, like, sending people up to the box and then being like, okay, if you were fucking, could I see you up there? Mm -hmm. News at 11. Like, it's just all over the media. And at this point, Dorothy is like, fuck America. So she starts to do foreign films because she's just like, I'm over it. Good. 
So she does a French film called Tamango, um, and she agreed to appear in the film because it was focusing on a slave revolt in a, on a cargo ship traveling from Africa to Cuba. So again, she was being really mindful about the role she was taking. However, she nearly withdrew her involvement because the initial script called for her to swim naked and spend the majority of the film in a two-piece bathing suit made of rags. We don't need that. <laughs> we don't need that for the storytelling, I don't think. I know. So she threatens to leave the film, and they do change it. Um, and interestingly, it also showcased a romance between her and her blonde-haired uh, co-star, co-star, whose name was Kurd Jurgens. No, that was not his name. <laughs> They're in France. That sounds like an improv name. Like, and I'm Kurt Jurgens. Do you know what I mean when you make, make up names in improv? Um, so this movie was a hit in Europe, but it doesn't get shown in America until four years after it comes out because they're racist. So her movie roles are drying up, even in Europe. Like, it's not going great. No. And, fi- and she gets really excited because she gets offered the lead in Porgy and Bess in 1959. And she totally jumps at the role, but it's kind of going against her ethos because the characters in Porgy and Bess are stereotypes. They're drunks, they're drug addicts, they're rapists. Like, those are the themes of many of the characters in Porgy and Bess. And a lot of her friends who are actors and people of color are like, Dorothy, I refused a role in this movie. Like, you shouldn't take it. And she's like, I just need... I need a job. A job. So she takes the role... Um, oh, and she also takes it because she's still regretting turning down The King and I. So She's, she's trying like, to find her King and I. Yeah. Um, but of course, people like Dorothy in the movie, but the film failed to live up to the hype. And it's like, wasn't regarded as that good. Around this time, Dorothy marries her second husband, whose name is Jack Dennison. He's a restaurant owner. And on their honeymoon, Jack mentions that he's about to lose his restaurant. And wow, if a star like Dorothy could perform at his restaurant, it would really help him out. And Dorothy's like, of course I'll perform in your tiny restaurant, babe, even though her manager is like, you're a star and to perform in this tiny restaurant like devalues you. Mm -hmm. She's a woman in love, so she does it. Um, But Jack quickly like totally takes over her career, isolates her from her friends, only wants her for her money. He's abusive and he's beating her and he's also investing her money in things that turn out to be scams. Oh, that's horrible. So... She loses most of her money, and she's now fully broke. And during this time, um, she's still taking the pills that they prescribed her way back when her daughter was a baby, but at this point, she also starts drinking heavily. So those two things don't mix. Um, She becomes fed up with Jack, as she should, and she kicks him out of her house and files divorce papers in 1962. She's now 40, and she earned $250,000 the year she wed Jack. And by the end of their marriage, she has to file for bankruptcy. Oh, my God. She is broke. So she loses her Hollywood home, her cars, and most importantly, she is no longer able to pay for full-time care for her daughter, Lynn. Aww. So Lynn is 20 at this point, and she's still, you know, prone to outbursts and really hard to manage. So she had been paying, like, a nurse to stay with her all the time, but she misses two months of the nurse's wages. So the nurse is like, I can't stay. And Dorothy is forced to commit Lynn to a state mental hospital. Oh, my God. That's horrible. Which is, like, heartbreaking for her. Because she does, like, totally love her daughter. But she just can't care for her. So Dorothy starts trying to stage a comeback and begins working in clubs again. And that seems like it's maybe going to work. 
but then she breaks her foot while on stage and has to take some time off. On the morning of September 6, 1965, Dorothy's manager, Earl Mills, called Dorothy regarding an appointment to get a cast for her broken foot. She asked if they could reschedule so she could get some more sleep. Mills got a later appointment and swung by to get Dorothy in the early afternoon. After knocking and ringing the doorbell with no response, Mill used the key Dandridge had given him, but the door was chained from the inside. Oh, no. So he has to pry open the door, and he finally found, finds Dorothy. She is curled up on the bathroom floor, head resting on her hands, wearing only a blue scarf. She was dead at the age of 42. Oh, no. Yeah. Dorothy. So her death was initially attributed to a blood clot due to her fractured foot. Um, but an autopsy revealed a lethal dose over four times the maximum dosage of the antidepressant tofranol in her body. So we can't be sure if the overdose was accidental or intentional, but we know that it very sadly took her from us way too young. And at the time of her death, she had $2.14 left in her bank account. Oh, God. It's... Oh, Fuck. It's hor- that's horrible. I know. It's so sad. It's, like, like a lot of times I'm, like, I'm horrified. But, like, it's just such a horrifying story. She was an absolute star, but she was, like, so beat down by the racism of the film industry and by the men trying to control her that her life and her career were both cut short. It's awful. So Dorothy is nominated for her Oscar in 1955. No other African-American woman would be nominated for Best Actress until 1972. Jesus Christ. When both Diana Ross and Cecily Tyson were nominated, but both lost to Liza Minnelli. (laughs) That doesn't doesn't pan. (laughs) No African-American women would win for Best Actress until 2001. That Halle Berry? When Halle Berry finally won. Yeah, that's really sad, but good movie. She's amazing in it. She is. But they were all amazing in all of that, and they all should have won. I know. Uh, Something that made me fully emotional was that on stage, Hallie dedicated the moment to Dorothy Dandridge, Lena Hall, and Diane Carroll. Oh. And Halle Berry loves Dorothy Dandridge. They are from the same town, and she, like, produced and starred in a movie about her life um, that was on HBO. That's amazing. So I I love that she got that shout-out from Halle Berry. Um, since Halle Berry won in 2001, only four more African-American actresses have been nominated for Best Actress, and none have won. I'm horrified. Great. The Oscars are amazing. Yeah. And useless. Yeah. And don't mean anything. No. Who is the Academy? They don't mean a thing. And they don't have that swing. Well... Shoebop, shoebop. All right. (laughs) Um, That was terrifying. Sorry to bum you out. That's Dorothy Dandridge. But I'm really glad that I know about her now. Yeah, I I was really, like, when I heard her whole story, I was, like, flabbergasted that I didn't know it. Yeah. That I literally, like, wasn't, like, I had heard the name Dorothy Dandridge, but I had no idea. I hadn't even heard the name. Yeah. I didn't even, so now we can all spread her legacy and remember what she accomplished and all that kind of stuff and we remember her today we're remembering her right now and anyone listening is remembering her and that's that's important that's the stardom that she deserved yeah (laughs) his remembrance but Um, so uh sorry to talk about that but that was no but that was great important to learn about i think yeah definitely but yeah looking at the numbers of like oh and no one's won since halle berry fuck like what the fuck 
That was like 18 years ago. Yeah, 18 years ago. Ew. Yeah, not like 18 years ago. It was 18 <laughs> full years ago. And like almost even more horrifying is that only four African-American women have been nominated. Yeah, that's So bullshit. like with those odds, what the fuck? Uh, it's not surprising it's been 18 years. <laughs> A full person has become an adult <laughs> since then. Um, <sighs> great. Well, I mean, I feel like it's time for a palate cleanser. Hey, horror honeys. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod. Your support means the world to us. And if you're not enjoying the show, why are you still listening? Maybe you do like the show. Yeah, I, I'm really glad you're talking about the ShamWow guy today. Or the Slap Chop guy. Or what will we put as, you know, his name on the episode? Like, you know, Dorothy Dandridge and the Slap Chop guy or Dorothy Dandridge and the ShamWow guy? A hard question. Decide. We'll have to look into some marketing algorithms and see which, yeah. <laughs> which, see which one's going to make us famous. You should just put a poll on Twitter and just be like, Slap Chop or Slam- ShamWow and have people vote and whatever wins. That's what we named the episode. I'm doing that. Yeah. I'm doing that. That's what we'll do. And then when it comes out, we can be like, surprised they're the same guy. <laughs> Bitch. Um, perfect. Please tell me about this man. So Sam, before we begin, uh, you said to me in the hallway as we were coming upstairs, uh, what could this guy possibly have done that's so horrifying? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. I sure did. Um, first, I want you to tell me what you know about the ShamWow guy, Slap Shop guy. Um, he has a chaotic energy. Yes. <laughs> I think of him as a skinnier Guy Fieri. Is that how you pronounce it? I've never known. I've never known. I like to put a little something in there. <laughs> um, if I know you. He just, uh, he'll pour just like a whole bottle out and then just shamwow it. Yep. Um. That's true. I think that's enough. That's all I know. Um, Frankly, I'm out of things. <laughs> uh, well, you want to know what I know? Is that I love infomercials. <laughs> so let's just start with that kind of basis of knowledge. I love everything about them. I usually sleep really, really well. But at certain points in my life, I've had extended bouts with insomnia. And some of my fondest, like, warmest, coziest memories are being, like, fully swaddled in a blanket <laughs> on, like, the second loop of a Magic Bullet infomercial. <laughs> like, that. they did the whole infomercial, but then it's just automatically replaying because it's four in the morning. I've been there, absolutely. Yeah. And the thing a lot of people don't realize... I think is how long some infomercials are. Oh, I thought you were gonna say like the thing. The thing a lot of people don't realize is that with the magic bullet, you can yeah. mix it right in the cup. <laughs> they don't realize and immediately, sir. It's machine washable, <laughs> and it comes with eight different attachments. Um, I wish. I wish. I wish. Well, I always like get into a fever dream. I'm like, huh, this is stupid, and then I'm like you know, putting Cheerios in my mouth. Like, wow, that really would cut down on my prep time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so some of them are, like, cinematic yeah, in nature. Like, really the George are. Foreman grill one, the air fryer one, mm-hmm. the magic bullet one's very long, and there's, like, a cast, and everyone mm-hmm. has a personality, and there's this, like, dreadful dialogue between mm-hmm. the characters, and I just, it, it fills my cup. Yeah. I love it. And so this one isn't that long. Uh-huh. Like, none of his commercials are that long, but they all have the same energy, and that's what drew me to his story. <laughs> and then I found all this other stuff. So... Many will remember this guy because of the commercials, the ShamWow commercials, the Slap Chop commercials, and they'll remember his face, mm-hmm. but his actual name is Vince Offer. 
Vince was, offer? As yep. in, like, I have a great limited time yes. offer for you? Yes. So his he was born, he has a different name that he was born with, and I th- believe his first name was Offer. So it's not a joke name. Oh. Um, so, like, his Israeli name is Offer something. Oh. But I don't, I don't know what it is. But, um. Okay. His, his given name is, like, the name he uses is Vince Offer, so that's what I'll call him. Um, he was born in Israel, raised in Brooklyn. Oh. To me, he kind of looks like Steve Buscemi's character in Monsters, Inc., Randall. I can see that as well. But then in certain lights, he just looks like Steve Buscemi. I love that. So that's a good combo. <laughs> um, he first hit the scene... Not as a captain of industry in the infomercial market, but as a movie director. See, usually it's the other way around. What? <laughs> so. Does he direct the Slap Chop commercials? I don't think so. Uh. But I don't know. Um, so he started his career directing the underground comedy movie, is what it's called. Which is considered by many to be the worst film of all time. I was going to say, that it's sounds bad. It's in one of those lists. It's like, <laughs> this is what some people consider the worst films of all time. And like, Reefer Madness is in there and stuff yeah. like that. The New York Post said, it may be the least amusing comedy ever made. <laughs> and for the Post to say that really means a lot. <laughs> Let me read you a Wikipedia synopsis of this movie. The film mainly consists of skits featuring celebrities in various roles based on concepts Offer had originally performed on a public access television show he had hosted. So I I understand why people were like, yes, let's fund this. Let's get this made. (laughs) Go fund Um, me. So it was basically like skit style. Okay. And that makes the best. Yeah. Wikipedia listed the names of the skits. I'm going to redo a couple. I'm begging you. Um, they, they have such titles as supermodels taking a dump. Hilarious. Boob watch. So funny. So like 11 year olds. Is yeah. really into it. Virgin Hunter, Hilarious. gay virgin. Don't know how they didn't combine those two. The Adventures of Dick Man. Wow. A beautiful girl with old man, which just sounds like a pornography. I... A pornography. <laughs> I don't like to say men aren't funny. I love to say that, <laughs> but then you hear the titles of these skits. I'm not done. Flirty Harry. Okay. And Porno Review. Those are the last two. Okay. Slash made a cameo appearance. I think that a porno review could be funny. That could have been funny. But I think a woman would have to be doing it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry. Men are- Not all men. (laughs) Sam. Men are just better in the kitchen. Men are just bad in general. (laughs) Give me the DMs. A couple of lawsuits ensued after this movie. You'd think towards him, but they were all by him. Like, he sued a bunch of people after he made this movie for a couple of reasons. He sued Fox Searchlight. So not 20th Century Fox, like I said, but still Fox. Fox Fox. Searchlight and the Farrelly Brothers because he claimed that they plagiarized from his movie during scenes in There's Something About Mary. (laughs) So the Farrelly's released a joint statement saying, quote, we've never heard of him. We've never heard of this movie. It's all a bunch of baloney. And the case was dismissed and Offer was forced to pay their legal fees because he Good. brought this bullshit lawsuit to, like, the tune of 60 grand. So oh that's God. great. The other lawsuit he filed was for $4 million against Anna Nicole Smith mm-hmm. because he says that she said she would be in the movie and then she backed out. So she owes him $4 million. Because if she had been in the movie, the movie would have yeah, made exactly. at least $4 um, million and one dollars. I couldn't find what happened with that lawsuit, but I'm assuming sh- that he didn't get the $4 million. I would assume but that as know. well, since he's slinging slap shops a few years later. Maybe that's how he bought all the slap shops to sell. <laughs> 
Okay, so here's someone he didn't technically sue, but almost sued. Wikipedia says to me, uh, in 2004, Offer sent out a press release through prnewsonline.com announcing his intention to sue the Church of Scientology. I'm in. In 1997, while production was ongoing, Um, the Church of Scientology had allegedly begun a large-scale smear campaign against Offer, who was a former Scientologist. Of course he was! Um, yes. (laughs) And his film... The director claimed the Scientologist Celebrity Center in Hollywood labeled labeled him as a criminal based on the rules of Scientology and threatened his Scientology friends in the movie business with condemnation, punishment that could be lethal to their careers, if they did not write malicious reports against Offer. The wild thing is that's almost definitely true. (laughs) This is the thing, is that, like... That is almost 100% true. totally, like, of Scientology's ilk. Yeah. But... I don't feel like he's famous enough for Scientology to have cared about that. Like, they care about people who are famous. No, they, they care about everybody. They care about everybody? I think, okay. I bet that that's true. I don't think the end of Nicole Smith thing is true. But In I, this moment, we trust him. I Yeah, I'm sure he was labeled an SP, suppressive yep. person. <laughs> and they they weren't allowed to talk to him anymore. Um, And he dated Tom Cruise for a time. Yeah. And then was cast aside. Uh, I'm going to let the, the folks at home make their own decisions. Whose side are you on? Nobody's. <laughs> The Lord. No, no one can win. No in, one can in win. the battle between ShamWow guy and Scientology. Oh, I have a stomachache. Um, so yeah, it's always horrifying when Scientology gets involved. But we finally made it to the ShamWow portion of the evening. Finally. Down on his luck and a failed film director and ex-Scientologist, the way all of us should start shiny new careers. <laughs> Vince starts selling this new chamois towel that he's found at flea markets. So chamois is like a type of fabric, mm-hmm. and that's how you get chamois. You got it. Um, and one thing leads to another, and he makes this low-budget infomercial for this product in 2006. The commercial doesn't exactly go viral, but it does get very, very popular, and it gets a little memefied mm-hmm. at times. And so those abreast of personalities in the home shopping world take notice of Vince. And his sort of sassy salesmanship. Uh-huh. He's weird looking. Yeah. He's got like this very thick Brooklyn accent. He's kind of like making strange eye contact with the thing yeah. and saying these sassy things. Again, like, a chaotic energy. It's a chaotic energy. You don't forget it yeah. very fast. Um, so he's made a name for himself. In 2008, Vince hits the scene once more with the infamous Slap Chop. Um, this time he is off the charts sassy, basically doing, like, stand-up during this commercial airtime, and he becomes a household name because of his famous line, you're gonna love my nuts. (laughs) (laughs) He says this as he's chopping nuts in the Slap Chop. For those of you who don't know what the Slap Chop is, I mean, you could Google it. No, I don't want to pander to the people who don't know what the Slap Chop is. No, I want them to know. I want them to know. It's like a bunch of knives at the bottom of, like, a pepper grinder. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds right. And you, like, push down on it. And it cuts things. And it cuts things up really fast. But he really sells this shit. He makes you want it. I want it. Um, And he's like, they're going to charge you a dollar for toppings at the ice cream shop. Not anymore. And then he's like, bam, bam, bam. And he chops up peanuts. And he's like, you know... Like, you know, there you go. There's your ice cream toppings. I'm like, are you going to bring those, like, to an ice cream store? I don't, I'm not fully understanding that. <laughs> Imagine um, trying to buy a Froyo and there's a man, like, at the scale at the end of the Froyo thing. Yeah. With a slap chop being like, bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Not going to take my money. Um, he also shows himself slap chopping some tuna together with some celery. And he says, stop having boring tuna. Stop having a boring life. Which is, incidentally, what I say to myself every time I wake up in the morning. <laughs> 
just stop having boring tuna. Stop having a boring life. Um, but anyways, this does go viral. And now he's, like, a household name, except nobody knows his name. They just know him as, like, the ShamWow guy. Yes. Like, at least people knew who Billy Mays was. Like, Billy Mays was Billy Mays. Well, because he was always very cognizant of saying, Billy Mays here. OxyClean. <laughs> um, speaking of which, it's around this time that Billy Mays, um, uh, the OxyClean king, comes forward to say that the ShamWow is extremely similar to a product that he had created called Zorbies. Which sounds a little bit like a mythical dragon villain. It sounds like the god of the Scientology religion. Yeah. It sounds like Zorp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for Parks and Recreation. Um, and that the Slap Chop was also eerily similar to his product, the Quick Chop. <laughs> Interesting. I will say ShamWow is a better name than Zorby. Yes, I agree. Oh, but it's like Absorb. Oh my god, I, I just got that. Oh my god. I swear to god, I just- I'm not fucking with you, I just got that. I was just like, what a fucking weird name. I, but we, it's like Absorb. You're we, right. We got there together. We got there together. And with all of you, audience. How many of you got that on the first <laughs> round and are much smarter than us? Tweeted us. Uh, tweeted us. Yeah, well, needless to say, there can only be one. Um, that's dramatic. Nothing really happened. They were just like, you're stealing from me, and that's that. Um, unsurprisingly, it all came crashing down on February 7th of 2009 when Offer is arrested for brutally attacking a sex worker in Miami. Oh. So this is deplorable and hits a lot of tabloids because he's kind of this weird viral name. Uh-huh. And he accused this woman of biting his tongue. And so people were calling, like, this, people thought this situation was, like, funny. Yeah. And they were like, ooh, like... The slap chop guy, like they, yeah, they kept calling her like a cannibal because she, they, he says that she bit his tongue, but that's very clearly a lie. Yeah, to excuse him brutally beating, beating this woman, yeah. and it's just not funny. Yeah, um, but this is a guy who did a sketch about supermodels taking dumps, so I don't think anything he does is funny. True. Um, but yeah, now he's crossed over directly into being a criminal creep. And also, he wasn't technically arrested for doing drugs, but he's just got this, like, meth attitude. Yeah, he really <laughs> do you know does. what I mean? So, like, I won't, I can't legally say that he was doing drugs, but So, I'm it's sure a he meth was. attitude on an Adderall budget, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly right, Sam. Couldn't put it, couldn't put it better <laughs> myself. So, in 2012, uh, Vince is back. No one asked for this, but here he is. Now he's got something new to sell. The shticky. Tell me what you think it is, Sam. The shticky. I don't like it. Something sticky. Yep. Is what I'd say. I'm going to guess some kind of post-it note alternative. Wrong. It's basically like a gelatinous lint roller. Okay. Um, so this commercial is awful and wonderful for a few reasons. <laughs> he says at one point, you can clean up quickie with the shticky. And my whole body like kind of shudders and I want to die. Also, at one point, he's like, stop spending hundreds of dollars a year on lint rollers, which, who's done that? (laughs) (laughs) And um, he also says, um, having trouble with that shedding pussy, and there's a cat who's, like, leaving its hair somewhere, and he picks it up with a shticky, and I'm like, good. Um, You keep your shticky away from my (laughs) pussy, Vince Offer. Please. I'm begging Um, you. He also parodies his jail time by saying... Shticky makes you look your best, even for those unforgettable moments, as he's, like, shtickying his shirt for a mugshot, and I'm like, you assaulted a woman. Yike. Um, my favorite thing about the product commercial is it comes in three sizes, the shticky. Small, medium, large? Kind of. 
the sticky, the little sticky, and the big sticky. Okay. Say that like five times fast. I would rather not. Don't. Great. Um, let it be known that Big Sticky is my new drag name. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage. The last product he made was called Invincible. Um, and it was just a kitchen cleaning product. I don't have anything to say about it. Ugh. It was the final nail on the home improvement coffin. It's probably ripping off OxyClean. And then the last, last thing that I want to say about this man um, is Ever that he again. seems to suck a lot. But I want people to know that he made a sequel to his movie no. in 2013. In 2013? And Lindsay Lohan was in it. Yeah, that tracks. And so was Adrian Brody. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and to my knowledge, he didn't sue anyone. So, hey, people can change. Okay. The end. Wow, Vince. Wow. So that's, uh, that's Vince Offer. That's the, the ShamWow guy, the Slap Chop guy. The Twitter will, guy. Twitter will decide. Yeah. Um, but, wow. yeah, that's what's up. Mortified. I'm also. Wow. Two, um, uh, two things that just have nothing to do with each other this week. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not a not a thing in common. I feel good. <laughs> I feel like I've learned a lot. I've expanded my horizons. Yeah. And you shouldn't trust anyone. No. Maybe that's you what know? we should learn, take from this episode. Not your manager. No. Not the person who's trying to sell you a slap top. No. Not your husband. Not the person who's trying to sell you a sham wow. You could have trusted Billy Mays, but he's dead. Ugh. Bummer. Well, you know... It's been a good week. No, it hasn't. It's no. Been, it's been a week. As always, it's been a week of nightmares. It's, as always, we're all just hanging on by the thinnest thread. Yeah. Um, you're doing your best. Thank I'm you. doing my best. Yes. You out there, audience, you're doing your best. So true. So, you know, keep on chugging along. And uh, until we see you next time, stay horrified. Stay horrified. <laughs>